So I got this idea. I was uh, thinking, <clears throat> there's so many people out there that don't know uh, what an AR-15 is, right? Like they've heard of it. Uh, they know it's fucking evil. You know, that's what they're being told. <clears throat> it's an assault rifle, you know, and just death machine. You know, totally buying into whatever they're told by the mainstream media, and they really don't know what it is. So, you know, I thought I would fetch one. And uh, when I say fetch, I mean I had to take it out of a locked vault. <clears throat> you know, you're required by law to keep firearms uh, locked up. And a lot of people don't realize that here in Canada. And it's really important uh, that you understand that legal gun owners, like, secure their firearms. You know, they lock them up. <clears throat> In fact, you know, most, most of them keep them in safes. Uh, you know, if you can think of the most um, important things in your house and how maybe you leave them out, um, you know, the idea that you would hide something, that you would uh, lock it up and secure it so that nobody had access to it who didn't have permission or, you know, uh, the codes or the keys necessary to access these, you know, <clears throat> secure devices. Like you could drop a bomb on some of these things and they would survive. So people need to know, it's not like the United States, you know, you're thinking of like loaded guns and drawers and stuff. When you're talking about the legal firearm community, you're talking about people that like actually store in an unloaded state, separate from the ammunition, in locked containers. Um, and, and those are the legal requirements and people adhere to it. And if they don't, they get in trouble and they lose their licenses. And the truth is, is that, you know, it's really important that people understand that these guns are locked up. So when I say go fetch it, I mean, I had to, you know, take it from its secure location in an approved, you know, spot by the government and, you know, uh, you have to adhere to the strictest uh, codes of conduct when, uh, you know, engaging with other members of the public. You can't be an idiot, you know, and get a gun license. You know, if you're out there arguing with people on a regular basis and or you're standoffish or you have a history of mental illness in your family, uh, if you've had multiple engagements with the, the police or if there's anything in your past, you know, that indicates that maybe you can't be trusted. And, you know, by that, I mean, like, you know, maybe you got, uh, you know, three, three occurrences where you're drunk in a public place. Like, these are the kind of things that would prevent you from getting a firearms license. So we're really talking about, like, the best behaved citizens in Canadian culture. And so now you've got these people and then they go through this intense background screening. And so I would, I would ask you, and this is, you know, me jumping around a little bit, like, I mean, do you know somebody that you trust, you know, trust enough that you would say, okay, I trust them to have a gun. You know, if you could think of that person that, you know, that trustworthy person in your life, you know, uh, do you trust yourself? Like, would you trust yourself with a, a firearm? And, you know, your answer may be yes. Uh, your answer may be no. But if it's a no... Um, you know, I can understand why you wouldn't want anybody else having guns. I get, I get it. If you don't trust yourself, that's fine. Um, but, you know, think, think if you could. You know, like, think if you could be responsible enough uh, to transport these things as per regulation in an unloaded state. Uh, you know, oftentimes they're in locked containers. They're locked up in locked containers and in the trunk of your car and, and not accessible. And these are the only ways that these firearms are transported as restricted items. And the idea that, you know, you adhere to all these rules, you lock it up, you know, you don't, you don't carry it around loaded, that's, that's not what goes on in Canada. But instead, you know, you, you go to the range, you punch some paper, you, you, you know, uh, 
maybe you ring some steel, uh, you compete, you know, uh, you, you could have invested, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in these items and you really enjoy them. And I think that that's really important to explain to people is that, um, you know, like we really do love these things, you know, like, so if you can think of that thing that you really love, you know, a lot more than anything else, and you can't wait to get to it at the end of a work day or something like that. And it's, it's, it's something you enjoy and you, it doesn't hurt anybody. And if you could think of the government suddenly ripping that out of your life for no good reason, you know, you would sit there and say, well, that's unfair. And it would be very demoralizing. And I mean, you wouldn't like it. Um, I, I wouldn't think that anybody that's voting for gun control would like to see anything at all taken from themselves. Um, you know, I, I get the impression that a lot of these people that uh, are just, you know, eating what they're fed by the mainstream media are voting down something that they just have nothing to do with it, and they're completely disrespecting the idea that uh, some people in Canada enjoy uh, firearms uh, recreationally, and that they they invest money and time and energy and have to seek uh, massive levels of approval in order to obtain these items, and, and they really do take a great deal of pride in them. There's a great deal of history locked up in a lot of them. Um, you know, there are people that have, you know, battle rifles from World War One. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that could be affected by these bans. And there's a lot of reasons why they're really historically significant and important. And the idea that somebody would just come into your life, and we're talking about your hobby again, and just snatch it away from you. And you would sit there and say, well, that's not fair. Now, if everybody all around you who is looking at the, uh, <clears throat> the argument rationally, was saying to you, well, really, there's no good reason for it, including like police officers, um, you know, chiefs of police. Uh, you know, there's there's no studies to suggest that legal gun owners are more likely uh, to engage in any criminal activity. In fact, they actually are three times less likely to engage in a criminal uh, activity than a police officer. So the people that actually go through the necessary screening, the reference checks, the background, uh, you know, inquiries, the personal interviews, uh, you know, that may occur throughout this uh, application process, which takes, by the way, months uh, to obtain. You know, like people have gone through all that trouble, spent all that money, have invested all that time and energy and really do love that thing that they really, really enjoy. And they're not hurting anybody. Uh, statistically speaking, gun owners don't even represent a percent of uh, any kind of criminal activity out there. And somehow we're getting blamed for it. Uh, arguably, the government used it as an election wedge issue and uh, certainly uh, exploited people's fears, in my opinion, uh, about firearms. But the truth is, the fact that this government would even contemplate a ban is like abhorrent. Um, you know, just think about it like if it was your car, you know, like, and they could just take it. Like that, that wouldn't sit well with you. So I would ask that you uh, examine the issue and, and realize that for firearms, uh, you know, for some people, firearms are that thing in their life. It's just property, and it's property they use legally and safely, and there's a lot of regulations surrounding, you know, their use. And so, like, I mean, back to when I would ask if you trust yourself or a good friend, well, I'm telling you the government goes, like, way above and beyond. Like, they go into your background. Uh, they talk to your neighbors if they have to, you know. Um, there's definitely a, a long list of... of things that they do, levels of screening, um, you know, your references have to be able to vouch for you, they go into your past, your romantic past, I mean, any partners you've had over the course of years, you know, at any time could say, yeah, I have a problem with that guy owning a gun, and you, you might be, um, you know, disqualified from the process, so I mean, these people that have gone through all this trouble, and they love these things, you know, you're actually thinking that you can take them from these people without some kind of uproar. And, and that's something that, you know, gun owners are so civilized, they've kind of gone along with everything that's happened up until now. And when I say what's happened up until now, uh, you know, historically, you know, once upon a time you could buy guns <clears throat> without a license in Canada. That was a very long time ago. 
And that certainly changed, and uh, with good reason. I think that it was important, you know, that people meet some sort of standards. Like, you shouldn't be able to just, you know, go in and buy a gun if you have money. And so the creation of, of a system of policy and licensing uh, and regulation is one that sits well with me. There's a lot of, you know, questions about the public safety <clears throat> aspect of this. You know, there really isn't any reason to believe that more guns equals more violence. Um, you know, certainly the guns being used is something we really need to examine. You know, the guns that are being used in the United States, uh, you know, they're making their way up into Canada. They're being smuggled in. And so those are the guns being used in the crimes. Now, there's people that buy guns in stores, and they do so with licensing and regulation and, you know, certification and training courses and safety courses and storage requirements. And so <clears throat> they go through all this trouble. They're good people. They've been vetted by the government, so they've been screened carefully. And so these are, like, really cool people, <laughs> you know, like they're well-behaved people. And, you know, even if you thought, well, maybe one of the two of them, you know, like, well, maybe they're not all good people and they somehow made it past. Well, I can tell you that, you know, anybody that misbehaves loses their license. So you, you really are talking about the finest group of Canadians in the country, well-behaved, a uh, long history of that. You know, like when you say you trust your friend or yourself, I mean, you know, maybe you, you don't know well enough that you can't be trusted. And, you know, maybe your friend there, you think he can be trusted. But like, I mean, the government goes way, way back into their history and examines the, uh, <clears throat> You know, uh, party from uh, multiple angles, and makes the determination then whether or not you are fit and uh, responsible enough, and have demonstrated that you uh, have taken the necessary training to understand how important it is to store firearms correctly, to operate them safely. Um, you know, to to try and take firearms from those kinds of people, uh, the very best people in the country, is really just a shame. And, you know, the government that's currently in power is, is selling today's youth on the idea that somehow the two are connected. So you've got these really good people and then you got these really bad people. And the really bad people get their guns from a completely different source. Um, you know, smuggling seems to be the primary and major problem. Uh, so the guns coming across the border. And yet the government has presented the solution to the public of banning the legal guns. Um, and, and we're still taking them away from the people that already have them. Like historically, they've allowed people to keep their guns. Those guns have never been involved in crimes. And so people are getting older and they have, of course, uh, these firearms, which Billy Blair always refers to as weapons. And it drives me crazy to listen to him say that. It, it screams a lot about his mindset. Um, but these firearms, that have been prohibited. Usually the practice is to allow people to keep them, um, you know, in some cases under, you know, very strict conditions. Uh, some are unnecessary, you know, like, I mean, the idea that you could own a prohibited firearm. So, so as time went on, you could buy guns without a license, then you had to get a license. And then, of course, it got stricter and stricter. And, you know, it very started like in the late 70s, they banned machine gun sale and, you know, collectors could be allowed to keep them. Those guns were never used in crimes anyway, but um, the, the owners were allowed to keep them. They just couldn't use them anymore uh, without real special permission, which does exist at ranges. And so, you know, you got these collectors, they have them, they've been prohibited, uh, but they're allowed to keep them. And historically, that's been the practice. So from the 78 uh, up until the 90s, when they banned a whole bunch of guns because they look scary as hell. And, and the truth is, is that it was hot on the heel 
feels of like a 1980s action movie, um, you know, generations. So there was uh, people in power. There's clearly this uh, myth around uh, firearms and firearm use and firearm capabilities, uh, you know, in the 1980s. You know, the uh, the magazines never ran out of ammo, and uh, there clearly was, you know, um, an exaggeration, you know, with things like shotgun blasts. So there was this, you know, this fear in the public. Uh, these, these, you know, weapons of mass destruction uh, were capable of these things because they'd seen it on the movie screen. And, of course, the lawmakers at the time basically went through the action movie catalog and banned everything cool. And, you know, the idea was that they would ban all the cool stuff, essentially, I guess, because it looked scary. Uh, there really wasn't any need to ban uh, a lot of these things. You know, they were based purely on looks. They even they even banned a prototype that was never you know, put into production. Uh, there was a company called HK that was working on a prototype. It had been in, like, a movie or something, or somebody saw it in, like, a, a magazine as a concept. And so they banned that. Uh, you know, it never even was a gun. Not that it would have made any difference, because what they did was they left this other batch of guns, um, you know, uh, in, in different categories, and, and so began this, this trip down what they call classification uh, lane, where they began to classify, you know, the, the different types of, of firearms uh, in the prohibited classes, and so you had, you know, 12 threes, fours, fives, and sixes, and sixes were the little itty-bitty guns, and uh, fours and fives were like the cool things like, uh, you know, MAC-10s and Uzis and, you know, Styrogs and, uh, you know, HK rifles. And, and so they went down this list, and you couldn't own these things. Some things they just took from people outright. If you, if you had it, you were in possession of it, you were to turn it in for destruction with no compensation. You know, uh, I can tell you, I was one of those people back in the day that had to give up firearms, and, and I swore to myself I would never do it again uh, because I really wasn't given much choice. It was before the Internet, before social media, before, you know, you could get a group, good group of people connected. And so we allowed this to happen because we didn't have the internet. We couldn't really commute, uh, communicate well. Um, you know, at the time, letter, uh, you know, <laughs> was the preferred uh, method of communication. And of course, uh, you know, I remember getting my letter in the mail from the RCMP saying, turn it in or you're going to jail. And it was like, wow, like, how did that happen? Like, I, I just bought the thing a month and a half ago. And so they banned guns. I made the mistake of bringing a gun up. Um, you know, into the country. God knows, I may, I may have been the only person in the country with a Tech 9 back in the early 90s, uh, but it was one of the coolest guns ever, but my, but only because mine worked. Uh, a lot of people complained that the Tech 9 uh, made by Intratech of Miami, Florida was a bit of a lemon. I, I can tell you, when I first got it, it wouldn't work, and I always thought that maybe the, uh, the people in customs had monkeyed around with it, but, um, you know, I managed to put it back together and get it working, and uh, no work, you know, it was fast. Uh, a lot of people, like I said, complained about it, but mine ran like a top with like a 36-round 9mm magazine. And so what I ended up doing, like, I mean, as a kid, you only had so much money. I would go to the range and, uh, you know, I'd shoot my Tech 9. <laughs> you know, people always looked at it kind of funny. It was this really, you know, ugly-looking, submachine-gun-looking kind of gun. And it had a 36-round magazine. And there, there I am at the range, you know, holding on to this thing and, and shooting it. And it was really rudimentary. It was, it was basically like a, like a grease gun type setup. You know, if you can imagine, you know, a grease gun having sex with like a PBSH or something. It, 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 was, it was really not an attractive gun. It was marketed, I believe, as, um, you know, poor man's Uzi. Anyway, it was like 350 bucks back in the day, which for a kid that only made a few bucks an hour, uh, you know, pumping gas was a big deal. And so, you know, months of my time and energy uh, had been poured into buying this item for myself. And I got to own it for a total of two months, you know, uh, essentially before I had to, you know, give up possession of it. 
And, uh, you know, the, the idea that you could have something just suddenly ripped out of your life for no good reason. Like, I remember thinking at the time, like, I hadn't done anything wrong. Why do I have to give it up? And like, I mean, who's paying for this? <laughs> like, I mean, that's... So they changed the rules. Like, you know, and I guess the answer, uh, you know, from the legislators was to grandfather people uh, to avoid conflicts and, you know, costs involved. Uh, this government seems to not care about that so much. Uh, they're willing to, you know, pay for, for these items. So they're going to prohibit them and they're going to, you know, offer people money. And I can tell you, they want to offer, you know, up to, you know, $1,000 uh, per gun, which may sound really cool to all you young people, but like if the guns are worth 10000 you know, it really is kind of spit in your eye. And the idea that, you know, okay, I could get up to a thousand bucks if it's working and it looks like it's in good shape. Like, this thing cost me $10,000. Like, where's my other 9,000? Of course, you know, <clears throat> people have, you know, gripes. Uh, you know, if I came into your life and decided to take a car and just said, look, I don't care if you really have much attachment to it. A lot of you out there that are listening uh, who are younger would probably say, take my car. It's a mess. Um, <clears throat> I, could, I could tell you that, like, let's just say you went out and you worked hard for your own first car. You know, and you were like really proud of that. And if you haven't done that yet, I can tell you that I highly recommend it. I don't suggest you have your parents buy the car or have them help you, but like do something. And I really hope parents uh, that are listening use that methodology, uh, you know, to raise their kids. Giving kids too much has created a real great sense of entitlement uh, in many cases uh, among today's youth. They probably criticize me for saying that, but it's the truth. Uh, I've noticed it. Certainly in policing, I noticed it. And this, uh, you know, trend uh, away from, you know, accountability seems to be a real issue uh, with today's culture, in my opinion. You know, I got to meet different people every day. And, of course, I got to meet them under the worst of circumstances, which is why it was so odd that it was a common denominator in all the cases where there were problems. But uh, <clears throat> the idea that, you know, uh, you would have, you know, people causing, you know, problems with these types of guns, um, you know, that have nothing to do with the legal firearm community. So to blame the legal firearm community, to essentially, like now we've talked about it, <clears throat> I'm going to tell people to turn in their property, something they like. So we're comparing it to like golf or fishing or, you know, whatever you do to relax, uh, you enjoy cycling, you know, uh, anything that involves equipment. If you enjoy skiing and you've got your favorite pair of skis and you, know, you got your fit a pair of boots and, you know, perfect setup and somebody just said, well, look, you can't have that anymore and took it from you and then offered you, you know, a fraction of what it was worth and then, and then chalked it all up to, you know, some kind of public safety issue or something that it's got nothing to do with, uh, you'd be upset. So I, I would tell you that there's a problem with the idea of taking people's property without really justifiable cause that I have a problem with as a Canadian and I think everybody out there should. If you don't um, get down with a program, that it's not cool for somebody to just be able to take something from you for no good reason. Uh, I can tell you as a police officer, it was very, very uh, strictly controlled activity. If I took something from a person, I was required to, you know, fill out certain forms and, you know, to submit the necessary paperwork to deprive that person of that property for any length of time. And it's something that the judges, you know, understand to be, uh, you know, given that people are entitled to their own property, you can kind of justify taking it from them temporarily, but if you're going to be holding on to it for any length of time, you have to seek permission for that. So people's property is kind of an important thing, and it, it always should be. If you worked hard for it, if you spent a bunch of time doing something you wouldn't ordinarily do and got paid for it and decided to invest that money and pay taxes on something you really liked, uh, you shouldn't have to run the risk of that property being taken from your life. And I, I think people get confused around the subject because it's firearms. It doesn't matter that it's firearms. It, it could be your car. It could be any property you own. If the government can step into your life and just take it, 
then there's a problem. And, and so I, I'd like to think that for all the people out there that think that government overreach is a bad thing, and I know there's a lot of young people out there that, that believe that, I can tell you this is the epitome of government overreach. And if, if you're uh, you know, down with politics at all, uh, I would encourage everybody to you know, take in the parliamentary sessions. They ask, they ask your leader a lot of questions, and he doesn't answer. Uh, all that often at all. In fact, most times he seems to answer uh, another question. <clears throat> what inevitably happens is they continue to ask him the same questions over and over, and he gives the same answer, which sounds like it's been given to him by a lawyer uh, you know, to avoid any culpability. And I think that that's something that people got to kind of you know, pay attention to. Um, you know, for the young people out there, I, I, heard, I heard and spoke to a lot of people um, uh, you know, about the issue of... Uh, you know, the leadership of the Liberal government, they think they're doing good things. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of young people. I come into a contact with a lot of young people. They're, they're really getting, uh, you know, one side of the story. And I think that if they examine carefully the way their leader's behaving, they'll, they'll see it themselves. They're not unintelligent people, um, you know, today's youth. I really do believe they're just, they're being misled. And so I think they, they seem to have some idea of what's right and wrong. I can't speak for the Tide Pod eating kids. I don't know what the hell that's all about. Uh, I don't want to always get down on the millennials. You know, I, we get to see the worst cases, so we kind of think they're all that way. The truth is, is that I'm sure there's a lot of good ones out there. I've, I've definitely met some of them. Uh, some of them, some of them are so fantastic, and the fire owners. So you know, if you've ever met an incredible person, uh, you know somebody that you really enjoy the company of, somebody that's very interesting. Uh, you know, in many cases, very knowledgeable. Uh, if you know somebody like that, you know, a lot of them are fire owners. And, and I, I never once imagined that there weren't a lot of us in this country, but there's a lot. And I think that they do a great job of hiding that. We've been doing our best to kind of, you know, let a younger generation know that this culture exists. And, and we're doing it with the Canadian Gun Vault. And I really can't emphasize enough that I, I encourage all of you uh, listening, if, you know, if you're uh, in that age grouping, if you're spending time in universities, I, you know, I saw the uh, trap shooting team from the University of Guelph, great bunch of kids, uh, you know, can't shoot for shit. <laughs> you know, I, would, I would tease some of them. There's, I tell you, there's a couple of the guys, uh, Lucas was one of them. They came over with me after uh, the university shoot. I told them, come on over to the other side and shoot with us a little bit. And so I managed to, you know, rope these kids into shooting around a skeet with me. Uh, you know, they can shoot. I, I'm, I'm really pleased, uh, you know, to announce that I'll, I'll be working with the university kids as often as I can, as often as they're willing to put up with me. But I'd really like to see that end of the sport grow. Um, you know, not to get away from assault rifles for a second, but I think that it's really important to note that uh, the University of Guelph uh, kids that I got a chance to, you know, watch the other day, what a great bunch of you know, fantastic young people that get it. And I understand they're running into some problems with their... Um, their university, uh, you know, some of the people at their university, I'm not going to say who, but, um, you know, some opposition to the idea that, you know, given the current political climate that, that you know, starting a shooting team is not a cool idea. And, you know, uh, I could see how they might, you know, meet some resistance, especially in that environment, but it's really important that we get into those places and we show the kids that there are people using these things um, legitimately. And I, I think there's some merit in doing that. I, I would put it out to the schools. Hey, you know, come on out and see what goes on in the firearm community. 
and you know I would encourage all the ranges to put that out to uh, the various universities in their area and see what kind of opposition they run into I think I think some some people will just flat out tell you no 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 um, but you know what if kids want to have an open mind I suggest they know the most about the subject they can and so I really think that we should you know get these kids out to the ranges and put it out to their uh, to them that they can enjoy firearms recreationally it's a lot of fun and you know there's a lot involved and I'm sure that it will generate some fantastic conversations uh, I really like the idea of putting that out there so that uh, young people can be exposed to the fantastic world of firearm ownership there's just so much about it that's, that's really incredible and I've alluded to the history and that brings me to my next piece and where I started this uh, podcast was the uh, AR-15 you guys know the rifle is that military style uh, you know uh, assault rifle the air 15 uh what you need to know is the air 15 was created in the late 50s and it is literally like a bazillion years old so i mean the design is is, is kind of archaic by today's standards and uh, i could tell you that people still love it because it, it's evolved into this wonderful uh sporting platform and i i had one uh of my uh CGV community members bring to my attention uh, an advertisement from the, uh, I believe, early 60s. And it was of an AR-15, you know, sporter. And it was marketed as, as, a, as you know, a great companion in the woods uh, as a sporting purpose rifle. And so they marketed it immediately to, uh, you know, the American public. And then, of course, it trickled up here. And, and what, what this gun is, essentially, is a uh, reliable uh, relatively light, depending on how much stuff you put on it. Um, you know, like it's highly accessor accessories. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Accessorizable, I guess that would be the word. Um, but you've got a gun that it's it's lightweight. It shoots, uh, you know, a small caliber, uh, you know, a high velocity bullet. Uh, it really isn't any deadlier than any rifle. Arguably, the hunting rifles could be even more deadly. Uh, if you know, if you look at the the ballistics, uh, you know, potential of the, the cartridges they fire. So in the grand scheme of things the AR-15 is not that powerful or rifle. I'm sure there's going to be a shit ton of people that will tell me uh, otherwise in the comments section uh, somewhere that you know the AR-15 is not quite powerful enough has been actually the uh, the hot topic in the firearm community for many many years now. So it shoots a small little bullet and you know it's 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 easily maintained and it's reliable if you know if you maintain it and um, you know it's it's soft shooting so it's easy to use and uh, women love it and so for the people to get out to the range you know I, I take girls out every now and then and they love the AR-15 rifle and you know why because it's easy to use it's easy to shoot and as a result you know, women everywhere, it's just, they're excited about getting their first AR-15 rifle. Like, I got my own. And, and so, like, for the people out there that are listening, you need to know that this is not just a man's sport filled with, you know, idiots. You know, they've got some incredible women uh, that are in our firearm community that are enjoying, uh, you know, these things. And, of course, the AR-15 is a favorite. And so it's, so it's just a reliable rifle from, like, you know, uh, decades ago. And people are still enjoying it because, like, it's it's upgraded, um, you know, People, people have found uh, better ways to manufacture them, to make them more accurate, to make them in different calibers. It's really like the Honda Civic of, of the firearm world. It, you know, everybody can have one that has the correct license for one, and they, they just go to the range. And so, and they're limited to five rounds. And, uh, you know, when you look at them, 
you know, they look scary to somebody who's never seen a gun before, but inevitably after firing them, they're really quite surprised because, like, it's like, that wasn't so bad. They look, you know, like bazookas, I guess, to, to somebody with an untrained eye who knows absolutely nothing about firearms. But the truth is, is they, they're mechanically no different than any other hunting rifle when they're limited to the same magazine capacities. And, I mean, everybody's, uh, you know, confined to these restrictions. and Everybody's terrified of having, you know, any magazine that extends beyond, even one round beyond, can get you into so much trouble. So you've got this group of people with this really old gun and, you know, magazines that only hold five rounds, which is the same as every other rifle out there. Shooting a, a you know, a cartridge that's relatively, you know, relatively powerful, uh, you know, but not, not anything special. Yeah, I mean, that, let's be fair. It's two, two, three. Anyway, or five, five, six. Oh, God, I'm going to. You never hear the end of that. But uh, anyway, so you've got this rifle that shoots this cartridge, and, you know, it's no different than anything else. And people really love it. They spent a lot of money on it. People compete with them. Uh, you know, people collect them. And I've got in front of me right now a, um, a reproduction of something that was manufactured in the Vietnam War. It's been seen in all these these movies. If you watch Platoon, if you've seen Full Metal Jacket, um, you know, if you've uh, ever watched uh, China Peach, you know, or any one of those great shows, um, you know, your favorite character carried this gun. You know, if you ever enjoyed one of those kind of, you know, wartime movies or, uh, you know, TV shows, uh, the A-Team, I mean, um, you know, you saw the AR-15 rifle. And so to be able to own one and shoot one and to be totally responsible one and safe with one and never get into trouble with one and have someone take it from you is, is really, it's really kind of sad because it's a great rifle. And so I've got in front of me this, you know, XM177E2 reproduction because I mean the real ones are totally illegal because they're machine guns they were manufactured for the military and they were used in the Vietnam War and, and for Canadian civilians it hasn't been a reality to own actually own that uh, there's a very select group of older people that do but they're dying fast. There's not too many of them left. And I mean, that was that was the other thing. They created the classes just to wait them out. And a lot of people they knew would just die and their their, their uh, collectibles, you know, like World War II machine guns would be collected and melted down. So they're melting down history. So things that have been used in history. And, you know, they could easily see, you know, um, uh, you know, being in a museum, uh, you know, but again, back, back to the XM build, uh, you know, the idea that you wouldn't be able to own one in, ever, but you could create one out of like vintage parts from that time period, but it wouldn't have the same capability. So it would only be able to fire like every other rifle you own one round at a time. So you pull the trigger, it goes off and you can only do that five times and then you got to reload it. And, you know, um, that was something we conceded to, like we had, you know, back in the nineties told, uh, agreed or agreed. We were told we were, we were going to be limited to five rounds. Some of these guns uh, used to hold 30, you know, or more bullets. Uh, you know, a lot of them held 20 and 10, you know, 15, but they limited them to five. So, you know, everybody's kind of given into that demand and everybody adheres to that rule. So this gun that shoots this, you know, mid-powered bullet, uh, you'll notice it's going to keep on dropping. But this gun, you can't own the real one in real life. So if you can build like the like the actual gun without the ability to go fully auto, and fully automatic means that the bullet fires like a machine gun. And of course, like I said, nobody in Canada owns those really. And so it fires one round at a time, but it's an exact reproduction of the rifle that would have been carried in the Vietnam War. And so for me, it's really cool because like, I mean, this is actually built out of parts that were manufactured during that time period it is the exact gun that you know that character in that show would have carried and you know what um not you know living out some delusional fantasy but it's just cool 
you know, uh, there, there are people that might try and spin it that way, but I can tell you that, you know, it's just neat to own and, and to see the wearing on the parts and to know that, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, each one of these parts could have been there and somehow migrated back into surplus, you know, uh, commercial sale and I managed to recreate that item from the 60s so like you basically create your own piece of uh, historic art and it functions doing something you like and and you can only use it at the range and so people have invested like the time to find the parts and to, to, to locate, you know, their perfect combination to create the rifle that is perfect for them or it's what they want or like this one, a recreation uh, from an incredible period in time. And, and to, to use it with no nefarious purpose and, and to totally abide by all the rules and then to have somebody come and take that. So I'm just trying to imagine as I look at this beautiful XM, you know, AR-15, and think, you know, they would throw it in a machine that grinds it up. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't watch, you know, to spend all the time finding all the parts, you know, to put it together yourself, you know, to, to build it and then to have it uh, function properly and to add it to your collection, you know, because you, you really do appreciate what this is. There are people out there that have uh, turned this, uh, this passion for this rifle, which is never going to get used for anything bad. And it certainly doesn't have anything to do with the crimes that you're hearing about in, in the major metropolitan cities. Um, you know, police chiefs are admitting they're just letting the same people out to commit the crimes again and again. And, and, and these guns are not being used in the crimes. That's the other thing. Like, AR-15s have not even been used in crimes. So, I mean, they've got, they've, they've selected these rifles and um, have decided that they're going to target them. And they've never even been used in the crimes. So, so now, all, take all that in for a second. Think about how much time and energy people put into these things, how much they enjoy them, they love them, they don't hurt anybody, and, and they've done everything right, and they're not even being used in crimes, and the government's saying, no, 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 you can't have those. They actually sold an election uh, to you guys based on the premise that they were going to make the city streets safer, when in fact they're doing nothing to improve the crime problem, which really just means that when it doesn't work, they're going to go, I see, I told you, we should have gone further, we're going to ban the handguns too. Handguns are the real problem. Well, why are you banning the rifles? You know, they're not even being used in the crimes. Why are you banning anything? The, the guns that are being used in the crimes are being smuggled across the border illegally, and they have nothing to do with this community, the firearm community. It'd be like taking cars away from people that drive to work every day because somebody woke up one day and decided they were going to steal a car that's never even had a license. So it makes totally no sense. It's like banning cars because they're sober drivers. Like, you, you punish the people that do the wrong thing. And so you've got these people smuggling the guns, and, and money could be better spent, uh, you know, improving border security to stop the guns from coming up but they're not even looking at that they just want to give you guys something we banned these guns we made the city streets safer they lie to you completely about this thing and it breaks my heart to think that you would fall for it without even ever listening to what it is that's really happening to you you're being used they're not giving you the correct information I think if you knew the facts and you examine them carefully, you may not like guns, but I, I like I like the idea of the government not being able to take things from people when they shouldn't. And I think that's a program everybody should be able to get down with. And so I would ask that anybody under the age of, you know, like 25, uh, 30, that maybe doesn't know what's going on, has shit, any age, it doesn't matter, but like examine the issue. You've got illegal guns crossing the border and you've got a people, uh, you know, a group of people over here that never are involved in crimes and you're about to take property. You're going to spend your tax dollars. They're going to spend your tax dollars 
like 250 million of your tax dollars. And I talked about this years ago in a, in a YouTube, one of my earliest YouTube videos. I said, you know what, typically the solutions are ridiculously expensive. You know, they, they, really, they really are ineffective and, you know, arguably they know it. And so they're taking your tax dollars and they're totally pissing it away in an area that is completely ineffective when it comes to the uh, solution of the crime on the streets. So like that's money that could be spent better, you know, improving border security, uh, getting new police officers, give the services the money they need to put more officers on the street and make sure okay, that they feel safe too. A lot of people really don't think about that. Um, as a police officer, I can tell you, the numbers, they would get low. You know, you get a couple of major events out there and next thing you know, you're policing the city by yourself, you know, or your portion of the city. And, you know, it's really dangerous and it's unnerving. Uh, I can tell you that it's been an ongoing situation since the early 2000s. Uh, the idea that, you know, squads could be understrength at all times, like totally, uh, below safe numbers for an extended period of time uh, is completely unacceptable, but it goes on. I can tell you right now that, uh, you know, it's something that really needs to be addressed. I think it, it directly ties uh, to the subjects of uh, officer suicide rates. Uh, the pressure on that job is incredible. They keep on adding new roles to it, and you've got people under uh, a ridiculous amount of stress. You add in a couple of, you know, family problems, you know, maybe a uh, divorce with your wife, and, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. And I really do think that that money could be better spent on police officers. So, like, try and take that into consideration, too, like, in all this. Like, I mean, you may not like guns, but, like, you would want your money spent in the areas that's going to address the problem where there's violence. Like, you know, you wouldn't have police officers sitting in a parking lot looking for speeders. Like, you point them out to that section of road near the school uh, where the kids are hanging out. And, you know what, this, this guy blows a stop sign every single day. So you would target that area. So uh, targeting uh, legal gun owners who are never involved in crime and completely ignoring the source of the real trouble and and what we read about in the newspaper these gangland slayings they're always illegal guns they're always people that are unlicensed and they're not they're not helping you make that distinction so I think it's really important you sit down and you examine these issues you ask the hard questions um, you know these are these are the things that I would ask you know, uh, of any politician, you know, like what's your stance on firearms? And you know what? And if he tells me I, I hate guns, that's fine. Uh, but, but I'd love to see the idea come out of his mouth. Like, okay, but let's go after the ones that are being misused. And that's something that this liberal government has completely missed. And they've sold you guys on the idea that they're just going to do something about it. Uh, they'll throw a number at you and that'll make you satisfied that they did something, you know, uh, important, but really all they've done is taken legally owned property away from good people. And I think that's something that you really want to take a harder look at. Uh, you know, certainly there's going to be a lot of questions uh, when people um, when people arrive at the conclusion that they may have to give up uh, property. You know, there's a, there's a host of problems that come along with that, and I think it's really important that people understand this. Mm. The government is suggesting taking property from people without any kind of justifiable cost. So let's forget its firearms for a second. Like, I mean, anybody who owns something, they've spent thousands of dollars on it. You know, if somebody came uh, into your life and just took them something from you, you would call that theft. Um, it doesn't matter if they offer, you know, a little bit of money for it. Like, if it's nowhere near the value of the thing, or if you, you would never sell it. it. It wouldn't even matter if it was the value. Like, let's just say you had some attachment to it. Like, whatever it is that I take from you, you want it. And it doesn't matter what amount of money it is. Like, like think of, like, your pet. You know, I could offer you what you paid for the dog. Uh, I could offer to pay for all his vet bills up until this point. I could even compensate you uh, in the amount of, you know, $5,000 uh, for said dog. But... Um, you probably wouldn't want to give up your dog. 
you know, and I'm sure there's people out there saying, I'll give, I'll give away your dog. Great looking, uh, looking over at their partner. Um, you know, like, could you imagine it's property? Cause like dogs are still considered property. Um, and, and people, you know, may disagree with that. I, I certainly do. I think that pets are family members, but, uh, under the law, dogs are considered property and property can be taken at any time. Uh, because we don't have property rights in this country, and that's something that people don't know. But if I offered you money for your dog, you'd still say, no, I don't want to give you my dog. You know, if you love your pet, and I'm sure you do, um, think about that for a second. Like, the government stepping into your life and saying, we want to take your dog. And I think the pit bulls are actually a perfect example. Um, you know, like, could you imagine, like, you, you, you get found out you actually own a dog that's half pit bull, and, like, you're in violation of... Uh, some city bylaw like am I, am I gonna have to move like you don't get to take my dog and you know um, there's there's so many things like I mean if I offered you money for that thing that you didn't want to sell like some people feel that way about their firearms you know so just imagine it's your dog like I mean for some people it's firearms they really love these things they enjoy these things it's how they spend their weekends they're off time people plan holidays around it um, you know I could tell you you know for people out there that are hunting you know, with air style platforms, uh, you know, that are non-restricted in nature. You know, there's a lot of people enjoying these things and using these things. And, and the idea that you would just give it up and, you know, it's, you're not going to get the value of it and there's really no good reason for it. Like, I really think that young people uh, today, you know, when they think about banning something, they really take a hard look at what it is they're really doing. Like, they're banning items that are never going to be used in crime and taking them away from good people. Um, that's not cool. And it doesn't matter that they offer money. You know, because it's like a dog. You don't want to give it up. So now some people are going to get really upset about this and are just going to say no. And so they got a bunch of people that, you know, don't want to give in. And the alternative is go to jail because, like, I mean, you know, hey, um, I don't want to give you my guns. And so now you've got people that, um, you know, are out there that don't want to give them up, that at the stroke of a pen have suddenly become criminals overnight. And the only solution is to give your stuff to uh, someone to, to destroy, to the police to destroy. And, you know, of course, police officers put in a real awful position here. And this is, of course, why I think so many uh, associations voted this thing down. Like, the idea of bans is, like, a bad idea. Like, if you got to potentially go door to door, which is something of, you know, a, a debate. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would argue that the police don't have the manpower for that. And I would agree. But uh, it doesn't mean that they won't, you know, bring some people mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, with special duties. Uh, I, I've often wondered if that was the money that was set aside uh, for police to enforce the rules. Like, I mean, imagine you say they haven't got the money to go door to door, but if they take the money that they throw out to police officers to take, you know, to deal with crime, you know, like if they, if they, by crime they mean legal gun owners and collecting up the items, then yeah, you know, uh, they could devote money to that. And, and I think, though, that that's, that's fast approaching, you know, that totalitarian uh, type atmosphere that so many of you young people seem to hate. Uh, so that's why I ask you to take a look at it. So let's backtrack. So you got good people using items that never get used in crimes, having them taken away from them, you know, uh, unfair compensation, uh, alternative is jail. Uh, they'll send the police to your house to come get you. Like it's starting to shape up and look a lot like, uh, you know, socialism often does historically. And, and it really saddens me that so many young people seem to have bought into this whole socialism is good. And, you know, looking at the educational institutions and what they're throwing up on some of these screens, I, I I saw a screen cap the other day of, of something that was out there at an American university, and I was blown away. You know, it said uh, Democrat, it said, you know, um, Republican, or, you know, conservative and liberal, actually, was the one I saw. And it ran down uh, a short list of, you know, uh, <laughs> shortcomings and, you know, good qualities, and it's like, you know... <sighs> 
it was just really geared towards um, you know brainwashing these kids into thinking conservatives are the enemy and you know they, they're they're they are a culture of fear and division and it's like wow you guys are the only ones that are driving provinces apart you know uh for all you kids out there that may not get the news from uh you know an alternative source or an independent source i can tell you the mainstream media is going to keep telling you that things are okay it's not you know our, our leadership in this government has embarrassed us on the world stage uh, typically Every single time. It's really tough to watch. Um, you know, the blackface thing, you know, for all the times you guys scream out racist and bigot as millennials, if you can't shout it out at that moment when this guy has repetitively and almost chronically, it seems, uh, donned the blackface, which was like, I remember I remember the 90s. It was not cool to do flat blackface. So, and I mean, this kid would know. Uh, I don't care if he's, you know, in high school. Um, you know, blackface was not cool. And certainly not with a banana in your pants uh you know so for all you guys out there that scream out racist over the littlest thing i would suggest that you take a hard look at you know how many times this uh the prime minister has been caught in blackface and you know it's really kind of embarrassing especially when you spend so much time criticizing people for you know not being so sensitive and culturally you know stupid um you know to have you out there in blackface and then have that squashed by the gun debate and and that's really what happened uh, for all you young people out there listening your if you if you think the liberal leadership is cool i can tell you right now they got caught doing something really racist and they changed the channel so fast it was not even funny they flipped right on the gun issue because they know it scares people and they could collect votes that way and so they told you that they were going to take like assault rifles off the streets but it's a total lie they're just taking away from the good people they're not doing anything at all to affect the problem that's out there i mean assault rifles or whatever they're calling assault rifles or characterized as such aren't being used in these crimes anyway so like i mean what are they really accomplishing and they want to keep all our handguns in a central location. Like, I mean, it's stupid. It's my property. I shouldn't have to go someplace to get it. And I keep telling young people when I come into contact with them, um, you know, if you had to go get your car from, like, a facility and check it out, like, it's your property. It doesn't matter that it's a gun. Um, you know, these people have demonstrated that they can be trusted with it. They've been trained, certified, licensed. Uh, there hasn't been any problems historically so far. And you're going to relieve them of their property, not solve the problem out there. And, and that's what they're doing to today's youth. They're selling you on the idea they're doing something they're not and in fact they're just like crashing down on the best people in the country which is like totally not cool and they're telling you that it's like okay to do that and it's not it's not okay to stomp on somebody's freedoms uh, you know I, I think that you're entitled to have your dog and your car or anything else you love and somebody shouldn't be able to come into your life and take it away from you without justifiable cause and so they haven't demonstrated that and I, I'd like to thank uh, you know everyone responsible for doing their best to bring to the attention of the public and uh, the lobby group leaders have done a fantastic job uh, lobbying for us but you know it's really important that today's youth take a hard look at what's really going on out there uh, watch the political parliamentary sessions carefully ask the right questions you know I had an uncle that always told his kids you know question authority I always had a problem with that when I was a cop I'd say why are you causing trouble you know like question my authority and you know the truth is it's really important that you do that and so you've got the government right now trying to push uh, to take property away from people and it's not cool and I love the idea of you guys spreading this around to the universities. If you uh, watch us in the Canadian Gun Vault, uh, please encourage your friends uh, to do so as well. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we do YouTubes and, of course, these podcasts on SoundCloud. And I love the idea of more people tuning in and educating themselves about what it is that we're all about as the legal firearm community here in Canada uh, has been leading for, for quite some time. 
anyway folks hope you enjoyed this podcast uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to us on youtube and on instagram and as always canada don't forget to shoot straight stay safe